Hello, this is Mike Harbath with this week's uh, Shoot the Moon podcast from Revenue Rocket. We are uh, broadcasting live from uh, Pequot Lakes, Minnesota, northern Minnesota today. The topic for today's podcast is going to be addbacks. Uh, we are going to talk about in detail what is considered an addback to EBITDA from an M&A perspective, how it applies, and uh, bring our guest, Brian Barnett, in to uh, ask some of those questions. Uh, Ryan uh, is responsible for, you know, the research and, and strategy here uh, at the firm. So, Ryan, over to you. Maybe you can uh, bring up some of these topics and uh, we can uh, share a little experience. Sure, Mike, and, and then thanks for setting this up today. So when we engage within uh, our acquisition process on both the buy side and sell side, uh, one hot topic that comes up is an ad back. And Mike, can you just explain in the most simplest term what an ad back is and, and how that calculates into the profitability of the firm and what happens to the valuation uh, when considering an ad back? Sure. So an ad back is essentially a uh, ad back to profit uh, for expenses that won't incur post-transaction. Uh, and why this is meaningful is because if you are a buyer and you are looking to acquire um, a business, you want to know what the contribution margin or the profit post-close is going to be because it's important to understand that as it relates to your inter calculating your internal rate of return or the ROI, return on investment, you're going to get uh, making that purchase. And so uh, oftentimes there are things on the P&L uh, that are there for either owner benefit or one-time charges or could be a variety of other special circumstances that will not be there post-transaction. And, and the common practice in um, looking at these companies is to give the seller credit for having essentially not made those expenses as you calculate both the valuation of the business, but also um, sort of understanding the return rate on a go-forward basis because those expenses won't occur. Sure. So it sounds like the, the biggest thing to take away from that is that a seller should only include an ad back if it was something that is not going on in the, in the continuing operations of the business. Yeah, it's it's going to be an expense that's not going to be incurred once the transaction is done. You know, and we have all kinds of examples that we'll go through here. But, you know, the, the short answer is that, you know, the biggest litmus test is this is not going to occur. An example of something that would not be an ad back, for example, is you might say, well, you know, we had marketing expenses, you know, over a period of time. And, you know, we're not going to have those expenses moving forward. Well, not really. You probably are. Um, and you can't include buyer synergies. So sometimes sellers try to add buyer synergies and they'll say, well, the buyer's going to use their back office so we can add back the expense of all of our, you know, our bookkeeper and our CPA and whatever. Um, you can't really do that, right? That would be things that are still going to be required in the normal and ordinary course of doing business. And you can't really add back what I would consider to be buyer synergies, things that that they may bring to the table, uh, you can't benefit the seller through buyer synergies. Those are things that they get as part of a, being a buyer. Sure. So if we look at some addbacks and some areas for that, um, 
a good example might be above market uh, owner compensation. So if a market, if a CEO is making a, a particular amount, anything that's over that particular amount uh, may be included within in the ad back. Um, if we look at that one specifically, how do you, how does an owner understand if they're making market compensation and, and what's over market compensation? Well, there's, you know, plenty of studies that talk about what's considered um, normative executive compensation in any region of the country. And it does vary a little bit depending on where you are in the country or the world. Um, and so you have to look at, you know, any of these studies are pretty good bellwether for what's considered market. And then excess owner compensation or excess compensation in the in either kind or in cash can be added back. So, for example, sometimes owners take owner benefit vis-a-vis -vis, uh, travel and entertainment expenses. They may, um, for example, schedule a fairly uh, extravagant meeting of the owners or an off-site meeting um, that would be considered an ad back because it's not, that's generally not going to be allowed or occur post-transaction. Um, or it may just simply come down to over-market compensation because you can pay it, right? Because it's a, a scenario where, you know, maybe you paid double market um, because you could and the business was very profitable. And that's part of the benefit you got as an owner. Um, you know, you would be able to, you know, add back the portion above market-based comp. Sure. But, but if I back that question up a little bit, and perhaps we jumped a gun, should, should an owner's compensation be an add back? Just the entire compensation? Well, the entire compensation should not. And the reason why it shouldn't is because most likely, I'm making an assumption here, that it's a, they're playing a role, an active role in the business. There is an exception. If they, for example, are executive chairman or they're not playing an active role in the business, they're just taking a compensation payment. And this happens from time to time if someone's hired to manage a team and they're running the business and, you know, the owner is essentially not active at all in the business. You certainly could argue that that entire um, compensation for that owner should be added back. But I would say for the lion's share of the clients that we work with, uh, those numbers are, you know, they're paying an active role. They're playing a, 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 a function in the business. And and their normalized comp for the contribution that they make to that business should uh, be the portion that is not added back. That makes sense. Uh, it is of note that in in addition to the above market owner compensation, uh, you also want to factor in the potential taxes uh, for that uh, above market comp and any kind of uh, any uh, benefits that might come with that as well. So. Uh, your simple yeah. SAS, you know, your SAPs, 401k plans, those are all going to have a contribution to to this. And again, one of the reasons why when sellers are looking at this and we want to be very uh, cognizant of why this number is important is that uh, you're essentially getting four to six to eight times your earnings if this is added back. So even as something that could be as small as a, a $10,000 uh, item, it could be a $50,000 change in your pocket. So we just want to make sure that each one of those things and taxes and uh, additional benefits may lead up to that. Um, if we yep. go with go with a thought uh, and look at in compensation and, and management teams, 
where do you fit in management consulting type roles? You know, so for example, if a company uses a contract CFO uh, or uh, some kind of uh, role that is uh, like a management consulting type role, what's the likelihood of a company uh, putting that back uh, into into profit? This is a you know a gray area, like many of these ad backs areas are. Uh, I think. It's one thing if you're getting what I would consider uh, additional advice and counsel from an outside management consultant um, that's not necessary for the going concern or ongoing day-to-day business. And I think remember that the that the litmus test is about will this cost occur in some way post-transaction. Now, maybe deployed mm-hmm. by someone else like you know, it may be deployed by the uh, buyer, right? The buyer might have a CFO and they might play a role um, of that function. Then it's pretty hard to be added back, right? It, it's it's not a true elimination. That's one of these synergy kind of gray areas that I talked about before. Um, so, you know, there's a certain amount of GNA that's required to run the business. And if you even outsource part of that "Quote unquote GNA general administrative expense." That's not something you can really add back, uh, particularly if that function is going to be required post transaction. Now, an exception to that might be something like an executive coach. Let's say you, as a CEO, have an executive coach and you pay that fee, and you're not going to continue that coaching once you're done because you're going to play a different role and ultimately you're, maybe you're going to retire from the business. You're not going to incur that. Uh, cost, or I should say the the buyer's not going to incur that cost. Now, maybe uh, you as an owner might incur that cost, um, but, but you know, the buyer isn't going to incur that cost, and certainly that would be an add back. That would be an example of a management consulting role that could be added back. Right. Well, and that's one of the questions I have as well, is if a company has redundancies within an, an executive team. And the roles that, that could be considered or eliminated upon the acquisition, is that something that could be viewed as an add back or is it too much on that gray line of continuing operations? And to this point, is, is this if you're representing a, a, uh, a seller in this point, Mike, are you looking to negotiate? Is that, does that give you leverage in the negotiation or, or is a buyer simply going to look at that and say, hey, there's no way this is happening? Uh, for those yeah, I, I do believe that a lot of these are negotiable, but I would also say that depending on how aggressive as a seller you're attempting to attack your ad back um, will depend a lot. You know, the buyer may take additional scrutiny of of those ad backs, uh, and it might backfire on you, right? So, I think the big, the again coming back to the ultimate litmus test, it has to be. Will this expense be required post-transaction for the business to operate as a going concern, yes or no? And if the answer is no, then it should qualify as a legitimate ad bear. And And I think you have to walk a mile in the buyer's shoes if you're a seller and say, well, if you have a contract CFO, oh, they won't need a CFO role because they have one. But you have to understand that there's still that function that has to occur. And thus, the expense should stay. And so, you know, 
that's a situation where you have to realize that no, that expense probably will still need to be there and still need to stay um, even when the deal is done. Uh, if it's a mm-hmm. clearly delineated line where, over, you know, excess owner compensation or, you know, uh, say a strategy consultant or, or somebody like us, for example, when we work with a client, you know, our fees are added back typically because it's kind of one-time charges, right? Once the transaction's done, whether we're representing a buyer and helping them acquire, but more importantly, if we're representing a seller, our fees to that seller while we're working on that transaction are added back. And they're added back because once the deal is done, it's done, and they're not paying us anymore. Right. And we've also seen examples of a buyer being a little heavy-handed on the future. So, for example, we've seen some pro formas that start to scale up costs unfairly. And while there's not necessarily an add back, it, it does get treated into the valuation. Uh, we've had a where, for example, if their sales reached a certain point, uh, there was an inclusion of an additional sales rep. Can you have any additional yeah. thoughts on, on a buyer who's trying to, to build a pro forma with that in mind? Yeah, I, I think that's pretty disingenuous, frankly, and we don't agree with it. Um, you know, if you're able to run your business as a seller efficiently and you're able to achieve a certain set of sales, um, you know, I, I think it's, it, it, I mean, this is a gray area. There's there's buyers that attempt to go back and normalize your EBITDA looking backwards saying, well, if your business was more normative, you should have more expenses, which lowers your EBITDA. And we just don't think that's an appropriate thing. Now, do I think it's appropriate to model in the future costs for additional staff? Should you grow the business? I think the answer is yes, right? That seems to be more of a normal approach. But to look at it in the rearview mirror and say, well, yeah, we know you're really profitable and you're really efficient, but most firms aren't that efficient. So we think you should have had another salesperson or you should have had another administrator or something. And thus we're going to lower your actual EBITDA number. Um, that, that just is disingenuous. We don't think that holds water. It's basically challenging the seller and saying, you ran your business really efficiently, but we think you ran it too efficiently. And thus we're going to try to lever it up with additional costs. It's really just a negotiating tactic, and I, I, I guess my recommendation would be to not, you know, not fall for that. But I do think that you know a performa modeling of EBITDA on a go-forward basis of additional staff ads certainly is appropriate based on certain revenue targets. Sure, sure, it's something to to certainly watch out for, and and I believe buyers really have to remember why they're acquiring an asset, and oftentimes it is because of the the people, the process and what they've been able to do that make it special. And so when you start to model in your own costs at a much higher rate and calculate calculating that in your internal rate of return, things get a little bit messy on understanding why you strategically are buying the company that you're buying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's always easy to talk yourself out of doing a deal as a buyer, right? I mean, you can say, well, if you know, this happens or that happens or we add more staff or sales don't occur or, you know, but that's part of the risk that's inherent with doing the transaction, right? So I think 
you know, as a seller, you got to remember that you built a business a certain way and you present it accordingly. And it's worth, you know, it, it, really the business is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. So you do have to also keep that in mind. Um, and at the same time, as a buyer, you got to realize that, you know, you can't try to model in every potential contingency, uh, particularly um, if you're looking in the rearview mirror in history and saying they should have run it more conservatively or they shouldn't have made that much money because we wouldn't have been able to make that much money. That, that it's just failed logic. Sure. Sure. Uh, switching gears a, a little, little bit here. If, if you're looking at ad backs and you're, you're trying to categorize and, and build up that profit, what do you, can you explain a little bit more about, uh, you had mentioned corporate trips and, and most companies are going to have some kind of trip, but, um, can you talk talk a little bit more about perhaps the more sales type related items or or even uh, corporate retreat type items that that actually may be considered within adback? Well, certainly. I mean, I, I think you know when you think about this, you have to understand how much of this is core to your culture, right? So it's easy for an owner to say, you know, we spent a hundred thousand dollars on a um, you know corporate trip last year us and, and we've done it every year for the last five years um, and we've achieved great sales growth and and great profit but we're going to cut those out because I want to add that back to EBITDA and moving forward we're not going to do that well yeah I mean I suppose you could make that argument but you have to look at the unintended consequences if that's going to impact the cultural you know uh, the culture of the business and and you feel that it would impact your trajectory of revenue growth and profit, then it's probably not appropriate out, right? It's probably not appropriate to model that you've taken it out, particularly if it's been a fixture in your business. Um, and we have many clients where that is what they do. They do a club trip every year. Uh, one in particular goes to Cabo. They bring a big team down there. It's something that people strive to to attend and, and each area of the business has an opportunity to have representatives attend. You know, if they were to suddenly cut that out after a transaction, it would be on the buyer and it would look like they're trying to, you know, penny pinch. But in many ways, it's more on the seller if they're trying to pull it out. So I think you have to look at the impact of the change to the team. Now, if it's an executive retreat for owners, you know, and you do it more as a corporate perk for the owners of the business to do planning, and that's not going to occur because they're not owners anymore. Well, that's a whole different deal, right? That's not something mm -hmm. that's going to negatively impact the culture of the broader business. It's simply something you're not going to do because you're not owners. And in that case, sure. it would be eligible as an ad bet. Sure. And, and perhaps that can go with the same thing as a social membership maybe a corporate use and health club or golf club membership or um, even we've seen CPC yeah, or tickets sporting or, tickets you know people yeah. have you know boxes at uh, sport you know sporting teams or or golf club memberships or you know yacht club memberships any of those things certainly same deal right a lot of times those you have to use the same sort of rules um, I would say that most of those things do get added back because they're usually simply for owner benefit and owner entertainment, um, and the lion's share of those get um, to be um, uh, for owner benefit. Uh, and they do them regardless of their ability to, uh, frankly, deduct them on tax. I, 
I just bring up that, you know, a lot of those tax rolls have changed in the last few years. So, you know, their ability to, to have that impact your tax is, is somewhat, uh, uh, some, somewhat changed. But so, you know, maybe there's less of that now than there maybe used to be. Um, but there's certainly, you know, those kinds of things. You, again, have to use the litmus test. Are they going to continue? Will they impact agriculture? And if not, was it purely for uh, or predominantly for owner benefit? And if so, then it should be added back. Sure. So I guess two two other things that seem we seem common are auto expenses and uh, vehicle leases and even meals for personal use. It kind of all seem to fit somewhat in that category. Um, we often say, I think, a lease come off yeah. the books, but but uh, could actually be, uh, we often see an auto in an ad back. Yeah, and the reason for that is because the owners, I mean, you're not going to sell your car with your company usually. Um, and a lot of times people will carry these vehicle leases as an expense or the auto expenses and the asset on their balance sheet. Um, and um, and there's some, you know, there's some specific reasons for that in some cases because, you know, there were some, you know, specific expense, uh, accelerated depreciation expense deductions that have been offered. A lot of times companies bought these for tax and you know, they bought large SUVs because you could, you know, essentially write, accelerate the depreciation and write them off much quicker. Um, and they may be carried, but, but for the most part, it's the owner's vehicle, right? Um, generally how those are handled is the owner assumes any lease or auto payments associated with the asset and that becomes an excluded asset um, at the time of the transaction and and if that's the case then they get added back right that's kind of one of those things that would be hey you're not gonna have the expense clearly once we close and that expense you know should get added back to EBITDA because it's a, a clear delineation at the time of close and moving forward you know, as far as meals go, um, same sort of thing. Uh, probably not going to be able to to take those. I mean, technically, again, due to the change in the tax rules, uh, those aren't really eligible anymore. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there's some that are still getting squeaked in there and they could be added back, particularly prior to the change in the tax laws. Um, you know, those things might show up on an add back on a P&L because they were there. Sure, sure. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, looking at a, a list of addbacks here, if a if a tr an employee is terminated and has a severance event, uh, the the comp to that sever, I mean, they're, they're not going to be the employee is not going to be an ongoing expense, uh, but you cannot you're not necessarily going to add back their salary because that role may be important going forward, even though the employee wasn't there. But what about the the severance expense, or uh, if you pay out a, a bit of severance? Yeah, I I would you know I think that's a tough one, but I would say that the answer is probably no, uh, because it's it, it's a, an expense that occurred in the ordinary course of doing business. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is something that you know maybe you said, hey, we're going to pay you a severance and we're going to get you out of here. And, you kind of got to take your lumps on that because it's as a seller, uh, because it's just something that as much as it's a one-time charge and you could make the argument, hey, it was a one-time charge, um, it, it's really accelerated um, salary, you know, for the most part. You could say it's a, you know, a salary kind of thing. Now, if you had a settlement, let's say you had a legal dispute and uh, some legal expenses with a former employee, 
first of all, legal expenses generally are allowed to be added back, um, but uh, because they're considered one time in nature and you had a settlement with that person, uh, generally that would be considered an add back because it's uh, an extraordinary expense, um, one that is certainly a one time thing. Uh, and I know this sounds nuanced, but it has less to do with paying them a severance and more to do with a one-time legal settlement uh, that won't occur post-close. Sure, that, that makes sense. Uh, Mike, we, we've seen a lot of moves towards remote offices in the last few months particularly. And we're seeing almost the elimination of some buildings and rent completely. Uh, can you talk a little bit about facilities and how how sellers may want to be considering their facilities as virtual only in in the sale? Uh, we've had a we've had a number of clients that have have literally rented or subleased their office, but uh, talk about a, a little bit about how rent might be uh, a kind of a new add back category that we may not have seen even four four or five months ago. Yeah, I would expect that, you know, rents may now, you know, normally you would assume that a, a, a going concern is going to have to have an office facility, right? And maybe they have historically. Certainly there's been a move to work anywhere for a long time, particularly with IT services companies and tech companies. And we've seen many companies as a, even larger companies become work uh, anywhere enabled and thus they close their expensive real estate or their expensive offices. And in that case, they can really be considered if they've kind of already closed them. You could certainly argue that there is an add back that could be applied. Now, historically, that hasn't really been allowed, right? You can't say that because I'm going to close my office or merge my office with a buyer that I can add back all my rent because the the buyer was going to have to incur a rent expense of some sort, maybe in a different space, at a different location, but they would have to incur it. So I think, you know, this one's a little bit tricky because what you have to look at is, are is the company, regardless of the transaction, be it work anywhere or work remote or work from home kind of company? And have they historically had real estate that they're now not going to have, whether they sell the business or not? And if the answer is yes, then I think you could make the argument that that rent should be an ad back. Um, now, I think it'll be tough because you could certainly say that that was precipitated by the you know COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but but it, it certainly is plausible that you could make the argument that your rent expense, because it will no longer be occurring moving forward, um, will uh, be an ad back. Some of that has to do with the policies and procedures of the buyer, however, because if the buyer is going to maintain office space and the buyer is going to want your team to move into your office space, even if it's office hotel or a smaller space because of COVID-19 or whatever, then it's pretty hard for you to add back your your rent expense in that situation. Um, but if the if the buyer has pivoted their strategy to be kind of a work from anywhere or work from home kind of company, then you know you probably could make the argument. Sure, sure. Uh, it is to note if someone does 
look at rent and, and the uh, putting that as an add back. There also are utilities due to rent expirations. So things like closing an office, you're going to also shut off your telecom, your water, gas, cleaning services, security. Uh, and then you may have taxes on non-recurring rent. So just remember that the, if you are looking at rent, it's not just the rent amount alone, but all the ancillary things that uh, they go go with the rent. Uh, but it's certainly, I can I can see uh, perhaps it fits in the level of synergies that uh, you can't really add back a synergy. But I can see where companies may want to, if they have above market rent, or uh, perhaps they had bought a nicer building, where so that may certainly be be included. Just a few other categories. Just uh, when we think about things that we think are not going to be included. Uh, example might be um, an issuance of bad debt. We, we've seen some cases where there's been some projects perhaps that, that don't get paid. Um, you may be able to take a chunk of that that hit your bottom line, but you certainly could not take, for example, all the revenue that didn't get paid. Can you give any insight on, on, on perhaps unusual accounting practices or unusual one-time rebates? Should those be considered by a seller when they're uh, looking at adjusting their profitability? Well, I think bad debt expense is always a bit of a stretch because the short answer is it's already reflected in your P&L um, because you didn't, in your profit, because you didn't collect the money, right? Um, and I think you know, bad debt expense is a function of uh, the collection practices of the business. And, you know, normally it's appropriate to have a reserve of up to 2% of revenue for bad debt. We find that most IT services companies don't have bad debt for the most part because they tend to be fairly aggressive at collection and manage it well. Um, once in a while, we'll see a company that has pretty high bad debt expense and they try to take it as an ad back. We think that's probably not terribly appropriate. And the reason I would say that is because it's a reflection of the management team's ability to collect. Now, it may have been outside of their control, right? It may have been a situation where they, you know, got caught or the company filed for bankruptcy or whatever. But in many ways, this is a function of how tightly do they control their financial policies? Um, you know, do they have a credit qualification uh, uh, procedure to provide a company credit, which is what they're doing, um, what you're doing if you're offering them payment terms? And, you know, what is your approach to uh, turn off the work if they don't pay, right? Uh, and in IT services companies, oftentimes things it's easy if it's not uh, proactively managed to get uh, pretty far out of the tips of your skis on, in, a, in a bad debt situation. So I would say it's very low likelihood that you're going to get uh, a bad debt um, add back uh, just because it's a, it's, a, it, it's a reflection of how effectively you've been running the business in short. Um, so, you know, hopefully that. That covers that one. Uh, other unusual sure. practices, you know, rebates, one-time rebates, and things like that. You know, it's it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis. You know, I guess um, if you're offering a client a rebate as part of your process, again, that should be reflected in your P&L as part of your standard operating procedure. 
I don't know that you could really claim that as a as an ad back per se. Sure, but but there on the side on the opposite side, something that are it's pretty clear would be like a one time legal expense. Uh, so if you yep. you're going to have a legal expenses that are day to day, but if it's a one time um, one time fee, that that's a pretty clear ad back. Uh, and, and Mike, we we have yep. A, yep. In, for the audience out there, we have a, a we're, we we talk about ad backs all the time um, with our customers, and, and we're happy to talk to anyone out there about uh, if you're evaluating ad backs, that means you're likely in the middle of a transaction and we're here to help you get through this transaction and and uh, can add some valuable insights um, just wrapping it up a little bit here can you give us just an overall perception about addbacks I mean how important are they and from both as a seller to adjust their profitability but B as a buyer are, are some addbacks going out of favor completely for example are, are we just saying hey I just want the I want to see I want to see everything without adbacks um, compared to, or, or are adbacks going to be a very legitimate uh, part, part of the negotiation um, when, when determining value? Yeah, it's, it's, it's my opinion that they're absolutely a legitimate part of the transaction when determining value for small companies in particular, because there's certainly a significant number of either one-time charges or things that should be added back or or expenditures for owner benefit that wouldn't happen in what a larger company but um, to you know can happen because it's a you know it's a closely held business and I think for buyers the we've we've talked to buyers that say well we're not going to consider any add backs we're just going to build our valuation on on the stated P&L I think that's a big mistake uh, because I think in closely held companies, it'll be very, very challenging to get to a transaction if that is your approach as a buyer, because you just it just isn't realistic to assume that there's not going to be some um, savings from you know things that are just being expended um, uh, because they're closely held, right, by the ownership and by the leadership. Um, at the same time, you know, I think understanding those addbacks as a seller and, and being able to make an appropriate ask and not overreach is really important because the perception by the buyer, if you're overreaching for every everything that may not be an appropriate addback, is that you're you're sort of uh, you're sort of trying to artificially inflate your EBITDA. And that creates a level of scrutiny with the with the buyer that um, you, you know is is probably not favorable, and it may backfire on you in the in the uh, negotiation later. Sure. Well, Mike, that's uh, all the questions I've got uh, here today on Advax. And again, uh, we're, we're happy to talk to someone if you, if you're down this path. Uh, we, we can help you negotiate uh, or help you through the process, and then we. Uh, we deal with this uh, every day. Yeah, sounds great, Ryan. I appreciate it. And uh, it was great to uh, to do this podcast and, and the level of detail we did. So with that, uh, we're going to tie a ribbon on it. Thanks a lot and take care.